thankful for what God has done, thankful for Him sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, and I'm thankful that He rose again. I love that verse, now He's risen again, and I'm thankful that He set us free in Him. Our boys and girls are dismissing themselves out now with Brother Josh Sister Anna, as they go out to junior church, back through these double doors here, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 16 this morning, 1 Kings chapter 16. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series together on faith foundations, our foundation of our faith and trusting in the Lord and walking with Him through difficult times. We've looked at the story of Job about a God who is worthy and how Job served God and followed God. But he didn't always, and he struggled and had a lot of questions for God. And so God helped to uh, set Job on the right track of repentance and humility and service to him. We looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood in a fiery furnace, how they were able to stand even when everyone else bowed. We looked at the story of Paul as he struggled with his thorn in the flesh. And he asked God to remove it from him, but God didn't. Because God had a plan to work through even Paul's suffering and Paul's difficulty to help him to follow the Lord. Our question is, what will we do with our thorn? And we looked at the story of Jesus as he told the parable of the rich man who left his three servants with talents. And uh, they were responsible to invest those and use those for the Lord's work. And we learned that we're not supposed to take what isn't ours. That it all comes from God. Everything we have is from the Lord. The ability to get up and come to church today, the ability to send it out on the live stream for people to watch from home, the ability to breathe, the the food that we eat, the money that we have, the job, everything we have comes from the Lord. We looked at the story of Paul as he was preaching on Areopagus or Mars Hill there in Acts 17, how Jesus is the answer. And then last week, we looked at the story, one of my favorite Bible stories, the story of the woman at the well, and how the gospel motivated Jesus to go to a place that was difficult and out of the way, and not a place that a a Jewish teacher would go, but he went because he was motivated by the woman that needed to hear the gospel. He did things that other people wouldn't have liked, that other people wouldn't have fit in with the culture of the day and the religion of the day. Because that woman needed to hear about the living water. See, she was chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 29. Because this is when we begin to read about the king who was in charge of Israel at the time when Elijah was doing his ministry. This king was a wicked king, Ahab, King Ahab, not the Ahab from the the Moby Dick story, the Captain Ahab. This is King Ahab, the king of the northern tribes of Israel. In verse 25, you'll notice his father was more wicked than all the kings before him. So things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. In other words, that's always been the case, right? Sometimes you think, oh, things are so bad. They could never get any worse. Don't worry, they will. Say, wow, that's not very encouraging. Well, the Bible's world is going to get worse and worse because of sin. But just because things get worse doesn't mean there's not hope. In fact, in the story of Elijah, I think there's great hope 
for the follower of God. He said he did evil above all that were before in verse 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him and reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. This is a bad guy. He did more to provoke God to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And if you go through the history of the kings of Israel, there were lots of wicked kings of Israel. So this man is unique because he did more wickedly than all the kings before him, and he did more to provoke God to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. This was a man who lived very wicked as a king. Let's notice, I want you to notice some of the wickedness that was going on in the land here because we see just this overall, the, the wicked people turning their backs on the Lord. You'll notice back in verse 31 that it says it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, for some of this, you need to go back and look at the history to know who these names are and who he's talking about. King Jeroboam was the first king of the northern ten tribes. So I'll give you a little quick survey of Israel's history. Israel had not had a king until King Saul. If you remember, they were enslaved in Egypt. They, after being enslaved for some 400 years, they came out of Egypt and they went to the promised land. Remember, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They come into the promised land. Now Moses has passed off the scene and Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. They come into the promised land. They defeat Jericho. They lose at Ai, but then they win at Ai, and then the process of taking over the land takes place. During this time, God set up judges, men and women, who were responsible for the leadership in the land of Israel. And the children of Israel went through this cycle of following after God and serving Him, and then they would begin to follow false gods and turn away from God. And so God would allow some enemy army to come in and oppress them. And so then the people would turn back to God. And this cycle went on and on for a while. Then finally, at some point, the people said, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations around us. And God said, I am your king. They said, no, we want a, a human king like everybody else. And so God gave them King Saul. King Saul, as you know, Started out very good, but ended up very bad. And from King Saul, then we had King David. Most people know about King David. King David's son Solomon became king after that. And then the king after Solomon was a man by the name of Rehoboam. And because of Rehoboam's wicked living, because of his oppression of the people, the nation was divided, Jeroboam who's mentioned here in 1 Kings 16. Jeroboam came in and, and there was a big battle and the country split. And Jeroboam, because he did not want the people of Israel of the north to go down to Jerusalem to worship God, remember they were supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship God, he built altars in the north for the people to worship God there. 
and he built some golden calves, one to put at each place for them to worship. Sounds very reminiscent, doesn't it, of the, of the golden calf that Aaron built when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. So they were worshiping the true God, but they were worship, worshiping Him in the wrong way. Because God had said, worship at Jerusalem, worship in the temple, and don't worship graven images. Remember your Ten Commandments? I know we're getting a lot of history here this morning. The second commandment is this. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So if you've got something and you say, oh, I worship this, right? We don't worship this cross on the wall. This is just to remind us of Christ's death, that He died in our place. But if we come in here and bow to this cross or light candles to this cross or worship this cross, we have misapplied what the Bible says because we don't worship a physical thing. We worship God in spirit and in truth. So the children of Israel had replaced the true worship of God. They were still calling Him Jehovah. They were just coming up with their own way to worship Him. And if you want more discussion on that, you can come to my worship class on Sunday nights because that's what we've been talking about. So they... so. Ahab says it's not a big deal. He, he considered it a light thing to make his own way of worshiping. Also, we see Ahab's wickedness in the fact that he married Jezebel. So, well, why is that a problem? But the Bible said it's good to get married, right? Well, it's good to get married to somebody that's not Jezebel, right? Because Jezebel was a wicked woman. You have to be nervous. There'd be some guest visiting today and say, my name's Jezebel. I've never met that. I'm sorry. Your parents must not have liked you very much. Why? Why do people not name their children Jezebel? Because of Jezebel. She was so bad. She was the daughter of this man named Ethbaal. Most think he was a prophet or a priest of Baal, but he became king of the Zidonians. This was near where the Phoenicians were. And from an outward standpoint, this would have been seen as a strategic marriage for King Ahab. Remember, his father Omri had consolidated the northern tribes. He had built the capital city of Samaria. That's where Ahab's living. And by marrying Jezebel, Ahab would have gained some military protection from a powerful enemy, because now they weren't enemies, because he married the king's daughter. Also, the Phoenicians were known for their shipping. You can read this in the history books, right? They, their ships would take goods all around the Mediterranean for trade. So it was a good financial decision to marry Jezebel. little side point, I'm going to detour for just a moment. Don't marry somebody just for financial reasons or strategic military reasons. Get married to somebody for the right spiritual reasons and you'll have a lot happier marriage. But he marries Jezebel. And he wasn't forced into this marriage. He did it on purpose. He wanted to marry Jezebel. He had selfish reasons. Then we see that after he married her, he went and he served Baal. And he worshipped him. Not only did he worship Baal, then he builds an altar 
to Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. King Ahab has gone all in on false worship. No longer were they just worshiping Jehovah just in the wrong way. Now he marries a Baal worshiper. I mean, basically Jezebel is a missionary for Baal, right? That's really what she is, and she brings Baal worship into the land. Now he goes in all the way worshiping Baal. They build a temple to Baal. They build an altar to Baal, and he's in there. He's now a Baal worshiper. We see great wickedness. In fact, it even says here at the beginning of verse 33 that he made a grove. This would have been a place with various uh, trees in it or poles in it with carvings on them. And this was a place where wicked acts were, took place that were part of the worship of Asherah, Baal's female counterpart. I'm not going to go into detail because it's really wicked and gross what was going on in these places. There was great wickedness in the land. But I'd like to step away from this story for just a second and make a couple of observations about where we live today in our world and our culture. See, when we read about this pagan worship and read about these wicked things that were going on, it's easy to think, well, that's really bad. Folks, we live in a day today where some of the same kinds of things go on, just under different names. See, over the years, there's been a great transfer, even in what would claim to be Bible-preaching churches, where we've taken the worship of God, and now we've made it the worship of man, the worship of a person who sings a song, the worship of material possessions, the worship of, hey, if you come to our church and you get connected here, you know, you'll be in the right place, and you can get voted for, or you can get the right business connections, or you get this or that. That's the wrong reason to worship God. You can do a lot of thing in the name of a lot of things in the name of God, but it be false worship. And when that takes place, the very next logical step becomes not just to worship God in the wrong way, it comes to worshiping a false god. Now we may not be worshiping Baal today, but many people today are worshiping false gods of their own making for their own selfish reasons. This is where Ahab was. And I would say this is where our world is today. But I think it is interesting to note Ahab's following after Jezebel's false worship, something old King Solomon did too. This wasn't a new thing in the land of Israel. Sin has a way of creeping in little by little. First, oh, that seems bad, that seems awful, but then it becomes normal. By the time Ahab's king, this is a normal thing. It's very sad. The wicked people turn their backs on God. We see the wickedness of King Ahab, the wickedness of Queen Jezebel. I want you to notice, though, verse 34 to be honest, in all of my you know, 37 years of life and in the last, I don't know, let's see, out of those 37 years, about 32 of them I've been reading. And of all those years in Bible class and Christian school and seminary, I don't think I've ever studied verse 34 until this week. Maybe you haven't either. 
there are probably a few scholars in here who say, I know all about verse 34. But if you don't, I want to point out something in verse 34. It says, in his days, in the days of Ahab, did Hiel, the Bethelite, build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof, and Abiram his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof, and his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. And that, that's what caught my attention, the, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Who was Joshua, the son of Nun? That was the same Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. And under Joshua's leadership is when Jericho was destroyed, when they marched around the city one time each day for six days and then seven, seven times on the seventh day. And the Bible tells us that the walls fell down flat and God won a mighty victory that day for His people. And Joshua, in chapter 6 of Joshua, in verse 26, Joshua pronounced a curse on anyone who would rebuild the, the city of Jericho. I'll read the verse to you. Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. In other words, his firstborn is going to die when the foundation is laid, and his youngest son is going to die when the gates are built. The gates would have been the last portion of the city to be built. And so this time period, if you look at the timeline here, we're, it's about 500 years since the time of Joshua, a really long time, right? The United States is not even 250 years old, so 500 years is a long time. But can I remind you, God's word never changes. When he says something, it is true and it will come to pass. And I believe this verse is put here to show us the wickedness of the land, so much so they were following idols, they were doing wicked things, and they were even going against the word of the Lord and forgetting the curse that had been pronounced upon anyone who would rebuild the city of Jericho. And God was showing them that he would still be just and faithful to keep his promise to bring judgment on anyone who did what he told them not to do. And we don't know what the thought process was. Perhaps they said, well, it's been 500 years. Surely God doesn't care about that anymore. I would say more likely they had forgotten altogether what had been said 500 years before. It is important, it is imperative that we learn to read and to study God's Word from beginning to end. Because it's all important for us to live today. There are so many even so-called Christians, and I don't know their heart, they would call themselves Christians who like to pick and choose out of various portions of Scripture just to say what they wanted to say for themselves at that time and sort of forget all the rest of it. It's important that we know the Word of God and that we obey it because we're responsible to God for it. So we see about all this wickedness going on in the land. We see people compromising in their worship of the true God. Then we see the people turning to false idols. We see the people forgetting God's word and doing whatever pleased them, even though it meant great personal consequence. 
This is where the land was. This is the state of the union, so to speak. And it was not good. And can I just pause here for a minute too and say, you may be looking around at the state of your life or the state of the world that you live in and I live in and say, it's not good. But God never leaves us without hope. And that's why we jump right into chapter 17. Because while the wicked people had turned their backs on God, God had a faithful preacher who was willing to take a stand for God. A preacher in the sense of one who would stand up and proclaim the truth. In that sense of preaching, I believe that is something that every single man, woman, boy, or girl could do is stand up and declare the truth. You can speak the truth. And that's what God used Elijah to do that day. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah's message was very short. Already way shorter than my message has been this morning. But perhaps it's because he knew exactly, God said, say this, and he said this, and he got out of there. But can you imagine, this is one of these stories I just love to think about what it must have been like. Here's Ahab, he's doing whatever he pleases, he's worshiping however he wants to worship, he's living in the city that his dad built, he married whoever he wanted to marry, he's in control of his life, he's the man, right, he's the king, he's in charge. You can read the story in another passage of Scripture where one day he looks out of his window and he sees a guy who owns a vineyard over there and he says, I like that vineyard. The guy's name was Naboth. Can you imagine somebody, your neighbor, who lives in a nicer house than you looking over at your yard and say, I want that yard. You come over and, say, and they say, can I buy your yard? And you say, no, it's my yard. I'm not moving. And they say, okay. So, they, so Jezebel got together with Ahab and they conspired against Naboth and had him killed, and then possessed his yard, his vineyard. This was a terrible time to be living. And if you're Ahab, you've got it all. So here Ahab is. We don't know what he's doing. Perhaps he's sitting in his throne room, but he's clearly feeling like he's in charge. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He's living his life, and all of a sudden one day in marches Elijah. And he gives him this proclamation, this declaration, this message from God. And the message is very simple, but I want you to notice the parts of the message because they're very important. First of all, he tells Ahab who his message is from. He says, as the Lord God of Israel. Ahab, this isn't my message, this is God's message. And God has me as his messenger to come and proclaim it to you. Ahab, as I look around, I see the temple that's built to Samaria. I see the altar where people are worship, built to Baal. I see the altar where people are worshiping Baal. Here's the grove where wicked pagan things are taking place. There's all kinds of wickedness around, but Ahab, I'm coming to you today to speak in the name of the Lord God of Israel. 
He reminded Ahab who the true God was. And can I challenge you with that this morning, that the message that we need for ourselves and the message that we need to proclaim to this world is the message that there is one true God. It's not a popular message. It's not the message everybody wants to hear. I don't think Ahab wanted to hear that message that day. But it is the right message. But I love it that he, as he speaks about this God, he doesn't just leave it there. He said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. He says, my God is alive. And I'm so thankful today to be able to say with absolute confidence, without a shadow of a doubt, that my God is alive. There are so many people today that are gathering even to worship around this world and they're worshiping a leader or a God who is dead. You can go visit their tomb. You can go visit the place where they've been buried. You can read their history of when they lived and died and you can read of when Jesus lived and died, but you can read on the third day when He rose again victorious because our God is alive. You know, there have been 500 years since... Joshua had said, don't rebuild Jericho. Now the city had been rebuilt. And what God said would take place, took place. The man's sons died. Say, God's mean. No, God just does what He says He's going to do. It's like the other day we were walking around Memorial Park, the Houston Arboretum, and they had some goats out there eating up all the weeds and stuff. And there was a guy, the, the goat farmer, rancher, whatever, I don't know, what do they call him? The goat roper? I don't know. <laughs> He's out there, and, and he had his goats in a pen, and it was an electric fence around there. Of course, all my boys were like, Dad, do you think if we touch it, it'll shock us? I said, well, look over there. Do you see that? place where the wires come out, look where it's plugged in over there. Yeah, I think it'll probably shock you. Well, should we find out? That's up to you. I trust it that it's working. But they wanted to test it out, so they did, and they got shocked. Because electric fences, when they're plugged in and working, they, when they're alive, right, they do what electric fences are supposed to do. That electric fence was not mean. It, it just did what it was supposed to do because it was alive. And uh, God is not mean when God brings judgment. God's just doing what He says He'll do. He behaves exactly according to His character. Now, there are things that God does, and we wonder, we question, God, I don't know how this fits. I don't know what you're doing. Realize God's bigger than you are, and you may not be able to wrap your head around everything He's doing or why He's doing it, but you can always trust that God will do exactly what He says He will do, and He will always do what is best. Elijah reminded King Ahab who God was. He reminded King Ahab that God was alive, but he also says in his message, before whom I stand, he tells Ahab, King Ahab, I serve the God of Israel. The God of Israel is alive, and I'm standing before him. I'm here to serve him. I'm here to worship him. King Ahab, I'm not here to worship you. I'm here to stand before God. 
What a great reminder we need in this world today, isn't it? Because everybody wants you to come. Hey, you know, come worship me. Come do something for me and I'll do something for you. And you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. And we'll, we'll take care of each other. You know, you believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. And we'll all just be okay together. The problem is God is God and he's alive. So we either worship him or we don't. We either follow him or we don't. It's either God's way or no way. People need this message. We need this message to be reminded who we stand before. Who are you going to give an account for your life to someday? Who are you going to give an account to? You're not going to give it to me. But you are going to give an account to God. Isn't it amazing how people are much quicker to do things when they think that somebody they care about is watching? Uh, several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, one day, I may have told you this story before, but one day I was driving up to the church and I passed a couple of our teenage boys on the side of the road and as they were walking up the sidewalk towards the church they were smoking a cigarette each of them had one they weren't sharing and so I just drove past them and I went to my office they didn't see me and I saw them through the window as they came onto the church property and instead of coming to talk to me they just kind of walked on past where the office was and walked around behind the storage building that we had on the corner of the property and they were there for a while. I actually remember I was on the phone with my brother Alan at the time. I don't know if you remember this or not. And we talked for a while, and I let him sit back there for a while. And I, finally I said, Alan, I need to go. I need to go talk to these boys. So I go walking around the corner of the, of the barn, and they're both smoking, and, and they both tried to put their cigarette down as quick as they could and hide it in their hand. I knew these boys smoked. You could always smell it on them. You knew that this was something that they did. And I wasn't mad at them for smoking. I just wanted to help them make better choices with their lives. And so they're both sitting there with their cigarettes, trying to hide them in their hand like this. And so I just struck up a conversation with them because I wanted to see how long they would hold it in their hand. <laughs> I'm nice like that. And so I just was nice. Hey, guys, how's it going? You know, I saw you over here. You know, what are you guys up to today? Yeah, and they're trying to act real nonchalant, talk to me, and their hands smoking over here, you know. <laughs> Finally, one of them goes, okay, okay, and he throws it down. He said, that was enough. And, and he put his cigarette out, and, oh, and, then, and then both, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We're sorry, we're sorry. We, we, we shouldn't have been doing that. We shouldn't have been doing it. I said, guys, don't, don't put your cigarette out just because I'm standing here. I said, is it, is it right or is it wrong? Well, we know we shouldn't do it. I said, God's always watching you. And if you're just putting it out for me, I said, please, don't do it for me. You can light up again. It's okay. But if it's really wrong, do it. Because that's what God wants you to do. Not because it's what I want you to do. Now, I say that today not to pick on smoking. If you smoke... Don't worry about hiding it from me. Because that, I'm just a guy. 
And what I think of you really doesn't matter all that much. If you really are convinced that something's wrong, then don't do it for the Lord. Do it, do it for the Lord, not, not for me. And if you're not convinced, then let God's word convince you. And otherwise, go about and do what you're going to do. Because you have to give answer to God and not to me. And we had a good talk that day. And I'm still friends with those boys, believe it or not. I think perhaps I'm friends with them because they learned what, you know, they, we'd spent a lot of time together. And they realized, yeah, Pastor Will's not here to get us. He's just trying to help us to think about things Biblically, we even joked about it. I said, you know, if it's really not a big deal, you should just bring it in my office and it'd be more comfortable. We can sit on the chairs in there. Like, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I said, guys, but when you think about it, that's really how it is. If it's not a problem, then it's not a problem. If it's okay to do it in secret, then it ought to be okay to do it when I'm standing here. See, when Elijah came and he spoke the truth to Ahab that day, he was bringing the reality back to Ahab that Ahab was trying to forget about or do something else. And so many people live in this false, made-up, fairy tale world that just says, I can do whatever I want to do and it really doesn't matter. It does matter. And then they act surprised and shocked when they don't experience the blessing of God or the, God's care in their life. Why does this happen to me? I mean, I tried for a little while. I went to church a couple times. I, I, I put some money in the plate. God didn't bless me. And I'm going to go live however I want to live and then surprise that God doesn't bless me. God is not your you know, lucky rabbit's foot that you just, you know, rub from time to time and he just kind of comes out or the genie in the bottle that just answers your, your wishes whenever you want. No, he's God. You're not. I'm not. And so Ahab's me or Ahab, Elijah's message to Ahab, he finishes by saying, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say so. You say, well, that's a big deal. It's an even bigger deal when you consider who Baal was. Because this false god Baal that they worship, he was supposedly the, the rain god or the storm god. They would pray to Baal and Baal would send the rain. And so when God says it's not going to rain and, and the rain god says, well, I can make it rain. Well, now we're about to have a little competition and see who the real god is. And God proved himself over and over and over again that Baal was not the true God. And, of course, if you know this story, you know where there's this climax, and we'll get to it in a few weeks, where they stand on the top of Mount Carmel and God sends down fire from heaven. But we're not there yet. God right now, it's almost as if God's given Ahab a chance to repent, saying, Ahab, when I say it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. See, when we live life according to our own way and our own plan, and things seem to work out okay, often we tend to sort of sit back and go, well, see, it didn't really matter if I did that anyway. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. Clearly, God didn't care. A lot of people living in their sin are, are living in delusion. Well, it's not that big a deal. If God is patient with you, 
That's not because what you're doing wrong is not a big deal. It's because God's given you a chance. He's long-suffering. He wants you to return to Him. It's because He loves you. A good parent doesn't stand over their child and every time they do wrong, smack them. That's not what God does with you either. That's why He's kind and He's forgiving. Now, does God sometimes bring the judgment? Yeah, He does. But when God withholds that, it's not because He's not being God. It's because He's being loving and patient. But don't take that as an opportunity to, hey, I'll keep sinning. God is alive, and He is God, and He does whatever He pleases. So Elijah gives this message. He takes a stand for God. His message was simple, but it was a direct challenge to Ahab and a direct challenge to Baal. Sometimes it's scary to speak a message like that. Sometimes we're afraid to go and share the gospel. What are people going to think? What are they going to say? I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't think Ahab liked this message. He may not have really believed it at the beginning. He may have kind of blown it off, but after it doesn't rain for weeks, months, years. If you go in the story, all of a sudden they go, Where, where's that guy Elijah? Go find him and bring him to me. And he starts to blame Elijah for there being no rain. It's not Elijah's fault. Ahab, it's your fault. Oh, when we get caught in our sin, hey, I want to blame them. They did this and this. No, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, you weren't walking with God. It can be scary to share the message that God has for us to share. But that's why this last point is so important. And we see here the generous provider taking care of the servant of God. Because as soon as Elijah gets this message out, God comes to him in verse 2, and he says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. All right, Elijah, you said your peace. Now go, get out of there. I've got a place for you prepared. I want you to go east. This was past the Jordan River and over to this brook Cherith, probably a, a, an area where the rains would fill it up and it would run. There'd be a brook there, but maybe in the hot months it would dry out. So he goes to this brook and, and it's, uh, verse 4 it says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Wow. God says, I'm going to feed you with birds not going to make you eat birds, but the birds are going to bring you the food to eat. Notice verse 5, because this verse is so key in the life of Elijah. And this same idea is repeated over and over in the story of Elijah. And you'll notice it over the next few weeks as we continue on this story, because every time God tells Elijah to do something, you see this statement right after. So he went and did according to unto the word of the Lord. God says, go do this, and Elijah does it. What a challenge. When God speaks to your heart, 
when he challenges you about something in your life, do you obey and do it? Too often we like to kind of put our own selves up there with God and say, God, I know you're telling me this, but I need to consider a few of my own interests first. Do you think God hasn't considered your interests? Do you think God doesn't care about what you need? Do you think that God is unable to provide? Well, God, if I do what you're telling me to do, it's going to mean I'm going to lose all of this or this is going to be very hard for me or I'm going to be put into a difficult confrontational situation with this person over here. If I tell the truth, it's worse than telling a lie. We start to think those kinds of things. God, if I, if I trust you in this area, I don't know how I'm going to take care of all this. And that's us telling God, God, clearly you haven't thought through everything as well as I have. Let me correct you, God. Now, we may not say those words with our mouth, but that's the reality of how we're living, isn't it? But that wasn't Elijah. God said, go do this. And Elijah went and he did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and he dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Notice verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. When God took him to the place of provision, it was a simple place. It was just a brook. But it was a safe place. It was a place where he had everything provided for him that he needed. But I think it's interesting, too, because it wasn't a place where there were great stores of resources. Literally every morning he had to wait for the birds to fly down there and give him the bread and flesh to eat. And from what it sounds like in reading these verses, the birds gave him just enough to eat for that morning. And then he had to wait for the evening for the birds to come back again and bring him bread and flesh again. And this happened day after day after day. See, sometimes when we're trusting God to provide, we, we only trust Him when we see God provide in really big chunks. You know, God, if you give me, you know, give me lots of stuff so I have a lot for now and a lot for later, wow, look what God did. But often when God provides, He just provides just enough for right then. Just enough to get us through that day. So I'm struggling with my emotions. I'm struggling with some pain in my life. God, I don't know what to do about this loss that I've experienced. And God says, I'll give you just enough grace for today. And just enough grace for the moment. Because His grace is sufficient for us. God, I, I need some money. I need some provision to take care of these things. And God says, okay, I'll give you just enough to get you through the next thing, through the next thing. That's where that simple, basic faith begins. I don't think Elijah was ready yet for God to entrust him with the big stuff, but it's coming. And perhaps in your life, if you don't have a lot, God's working with you just like he worked with Elijah to give you just enough right now to trust him with what he's given you. So then if you'll be faithful with that, God will trust you with enough for the next meal and enough for the next bill and enough for the next difficult circumstance that you're facing just enough to get you from one to the next to the next and don't look at those little provisions as God gives you almost like one bite at a time don't look at that as if God doesn't love you think about a mother with her child how does she feed him when he's really tiny first it's just nursing perhaps but 
maybe it's one bottle at a time. When they start to eat soft food, it's, it's one little spoonful at a time. Why? Because if you put a whole plate of food in front of a, in front of a little child, they just make a mess of it and throw it all over the place and waste it. I've sat at a lot of meals with my children. <laughs> I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry, you know. And so we'll start cutting out a bite at a time, just feeding it to them. And pretty soon they eat the whole plate. They say, wow, I'm satisfied. I had enough to eat. If we'd let them get down and play when they were ready to get down and play, they'd be back 10 minutes later. I'm hungry again. I'm hungry again. And isn't that how we treat God sometimes? Because sometimes God does put the whole plate of food in front of us. He, he does provide. We look and say, oh, it's great. And we kind of make a mess of it. And we th- slop some on the wall. And we throw some on the floor. And we go, I don't really like this anyway. And then we walk off and go do our thing. And 10 minutes later, God, why haven't you provided for me? Maybe God's just spooning it out to you a little bit at a time. See, God was spooning it out for Elijah just a little bit at a time right here. And you get a little bit further into the story next week, you'll see when he meets the widow at Zarephath, God starts to give him because now God's not just taking care of Elijah. God's taking care of Elijah and the widow and her son and her family. God starts doing more and more and more. There's so much in this story that God speaks to me through because of the simple obedience of Elijah to trust God, to share a message that perhaps wasn't popular because it's a very wicked world in a dark place. But if we'll keep our eyes on the one who's given us the message and who provides for our needs, we'll have everything that we need. And if you get ahead a little bit, you're welcome to read the story ahead, but in verse 7, There's a transition because all of a sudden it says, and it came to pass that the brook dried up. That one thing that was constant, you know, I had to wait for the ravens to come twice a day. But the brook, it's there. God says, nope, not not anymore. (laughs) I have another plan for you. I'm ready for you to take the next step. And God may be doing something like that in your life, too. Maybe you've learned to trust Him with the little bites along the way, but you've kind of gotten comfortable enjoying the constant that is always there, the provision that you think could never be taken away, or the thing that always is the same. And God says, no, I want you to learn to trust me more, and I'm going to take that away, too, because there's another step of faith that I want you to take in the growth that I have for you. Oh, there's so much for us here today. I hope that you'll take some time just to meditate on the truth of God's word, that God is faithful. Even in a wicked land, God is faithful. Even when he's given you work to do and it seems counterproductive to your own personal well-being as it did for Elijah, God is faithful and he'll provide for your needs. Don't be afraid to follow God in obedience. Don't be afraid to do what He says to do because He's not doing it out of spite or to hurt you. Whatever He does is always good and He always provides. He may not provide with a full plate. He may just give it a spoonful at a time. But can we learn, like the Apostle Paul said, that whatever state we're in, to be content. If God's given you food, 
You may not have food for the whole week, but you've got enough food to eat something today. Be content. If he hasn't given you food yet for today, we'll pray and trust that he'll provide it today, and I believe he will. Often our eyes get off on the wrong things. Maybe you're like Ahab. You're just kind of living it up, doing whatever you want to do. Who knows what the rest of the land of Israel is doing at this point? Clearly, I, I imagine they're just trying to survive. The famine's starting to get tough. Water's becoming more scarce. Plants aren't growing. You know, put in modern vernacular, your unemployment's running out. Your job's looking unsure. The bills are coming due. Not sure what's going to happen with the election. Are we even going to have a country in three weeks? Right? If, if you listen to the news, you can get really twisted up. What are we going to do? Let's get our eyes on the generous provider. But let's not forget the message that he's called us to share. God's good. And Elijah, his job was simple. as trust and obey. God said do it. He did it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, maybe an area that you've been struggling to trust the Lord, I'm not asking you to get it all done today, but I would ask you to take the next step. Say, God, I'm going to trust you to take the next step. Whatever that step is, There may be somebody here this morning who you're hearing all this and thinking, wow, never thought about God like this before. Would you be willing to trust Him to just take the next step and learn a little more about Him? Perhaps you have some questions about God and if God would do this, then why was He working with Elijah? What does God want from me? We'd love to help you as a church be able to answer those questions and find out from God's Word. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I realize that before God, I've done lots of bad things. I've sinned, and I'm not following Him at all. And this morning, I want to give God my life. I want to trust in the Lord as my Savior. I want to ask Him to forgive me. I want to live for Him. I, I need that kind of provision in my life. If that's you this morning, I'd love to just pray for you. If you wouldn't mind just slipping your hand up and slip it right back down, right where you're sitting. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need to follow God, and I'm not. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I, I'm a believer, but there's some areas I'm struggling in. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm unsure of the situation that I'm in. And I needed this this morning to be reminded about who God was and who God is and that He's still alive and He's still at work. If that's you this morning, just say, Pastor, I needed that encouragement this morning. Would you pray for me? I want to pray for you. There's hands all over. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for each person who's here. And I pray for those who are struggling today, and those who may be feeling really good today. I pray each of us needs your help. If there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they'd trust you today. Lord, for those who do, I pray that we would trust you to provide. Not because we need all the stuff. We just need enough to take the next step in obedience to you, to be able to carry out the message that you've given us to share. Lord, help us now, even in this time of invitation, that we'd respond in obedience and following you. In Jesus' name I pray.